The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from that preseason week one win over the Eagles, the 24th in a row for the Ravens. Here to do that with me is Jordan Coe of the Ravens Situation Room. How you doing, Jordan? Good, Ken. Just happy to be ex- to be celebrating this 24th win in a row. Yeah, it's uh, it's not nothing. <laughs> but I would trade the entire streak for one injury-free preseason game. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I, I think I'd trade the uh, the entire streak for maybe having to watch some of these preseason games altogether. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Okay, it's still good football for me. I, I, you know, you're an analyst too, but but you when we get the opportunity to watch preseason football, it's like I understand a lot of people give their tickets away because the games don't mean anything. But they mean a lot in terms of player development, in terms of really understanding who the team is. So it's like sort of like going to camp. It's like going to camp at, at night when there's a game on. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a real practice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 24 in a row uh, on offense. One of the things that kind of came out of this a little bit was, did, did the Ravens make some compromises in this game? to try and extend the streak. We talked a little bit about that on the defensive side. They certainly had some of their corners and Worley in particular at safety play a lot of the game. And are you actually Worley played the entire game and come and Worley in the second half completely dominated it in terms of, of uh, you know, who he was on the field relative to everybody else. You could literally, we did this on the last show, a little bit of game of which of these ones is not like the other. And you have Worley, an eighth-year you know, veteran with 55 career starts, and you had all these other first- and second-year players, basically. Uh, it, it, it just wasn't fair. Well, it was interesting to see Huntley in the second half, too. And then I was really surprised that it didn't pull Huntley after he came up a little bit with that hamstring. like like, And maybe it wasn't as bad as it looked initially on that play, but for as – and we'll talk in more detail about some of the performance, but for as poorly as Johnson played in the first half, like not having Huntley available would be really particularly bad given the density of the Ravens schedule in the first quarter of the year um, with a lot of these AFC North games. You, you can't like, if something were to happen that he was out for the next two months in this game, that was, that would have been really silly and was something that surprised me. Definitely something we need to talk about is this backup QB battle. I, you know, as much as everybody thinks Huntley is the obvious guy, and, and he certainly outplayed Johnson in this first game, there are a lot of factors in play here. And I, I, I kind of want to go through 
some of that with you. But but the first is a fairly obvious one, and the Ravens one the Ravens need to be careful about all the time, which is cap space. And there is a million and a half dollar incentive to have Johnson be the guy over Huntley. Huntley makes two point six seven, and Johnson makes one point one seven. I mean, it's that's a number. It's not very big. And in mm-hmm. the scheme of how the salary cap works, creating a million and a half in space in future years and with cap growing and essentially how you're you're almost always playing to the cap of the next year or the year after that and not so much the cap in your current year. I, I don't see it as being nearly worth anything. Okay, your 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 argument though basically is that the cap the cap dollars are worth nothing. They can always be deferred. Blah 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 blah. It's 06 percent of next year's cap, but it's you know even in fundraising you realize dollars are real. Come on, I mean it's no no, be- no I'm not I, I'm not saying that they're not real. I'm just saying that yeah. the, with the way that like if you were talking we were talking about ten million dollars in cap space, I would agree with you. Uh-huh. But I'm saying that in any given year, in any cap space structure challenge and issue that any team has in the worst of scenarios creating a million and a half in cap space is going to have no long-term impact on any team will it be the deciding factor in anything maybe not but maybe it can keep you from making a bad deal like overpaying for roquan smith in terms of draft capital you trade because you can't take his whole contract Potential again. I I still just don't think a million and a half is enough to move the needle for me. Even if it was four, I'd be a little bit more there with you. But I just think that I mean we're talking about the you know a a veteran minimums equivalent salary anyway to begin with. I mean this is the kind of thing that if somebody got hurt in a certain like earlier in the year that you were going to have to replace with a vet, you're just going to have to eat that. Like it's just it just doesn't strike me as. I'm going to make my decision based on what I saw on the field there, and there's no Fair way enough. I'm go. I'm I'm taking this team, which I think is on its way to being, or could be on its way to being a Super Bowl quality team. I'm going to let Johnson be the backup of that team. They're, they're, well, that's just not happening. Let me take the other point. side of it for just a moment and say that they already tried that last year with Huntley, and it we we all know if Jackson goes down, it's over anyway. It's, it, I mean, the season is over. Huntley's not going to take him to a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, Huntley's Huntley might get him through two games in the middle of a season where they have a playoff anyway. But Jackson's season-ending injuries have been ones that have that have skewered the team each each of the really last three years, but the, but the last two years when he missed multiple games. Uh, it's I, I it, from that perspective at least, I think you'd have to agree that it doesn't matter who your backup quarterback is, whether it's Johnson or Huntley. If it's a if it's a season-ending injury for Lamar, that is the reason either of them are playing. I the root of your argument I'd agree with, but I would say that it was it seemed like it was in the realm of possibility that if and you and I witnessed this in person, and yep. we're both equally heartbroken. Yep. If he doesn't make that boneheaded decision to try and jump over the pile when it wasn't the call. There's a shot that Lamar comes back last year, right? I, I there's there, there's no scenario that I see Johnson or Brown keeping the Ravens in the game in the way Huntley kept them in that Bengals game. A, um, and and B, I think Greg Roman not being here is the factor, and I, I think we'll talk about this more when we talk about this game. I watched this game, 
And it, it almost felt like the Ravens were trying to toy with my emotions because they were like, we're going to make this look. We're, we're just going to do the exact same thing in this preseason game that we've <laughs> done the last four years. It's going to be pulls. It's going to be counters. It's going to be bunch tight or it's going to be completely empty and spread out wide. There's not going to it's going to be mesh plays. Everything that we saw them run in this game is everything we've seen for the last three or four years. Um, let's come back to that in a moment because I don't agree. But let's let's come back to that. <laughs> let's come back to that in a moment after we get through the quarterback thing. So aside, I, I really just talking about point of entry. And honestly, I just want for a discussion point, the money component, I, 1.5 million would not make the difference for me either. But since I believe that you, the, the season is lost, if either of them is there, I think you're, you're, it's really the 1.5 million actually would weigh more heavily for me than it, than it clearly would for you. But let's talk about other things. The opponent is an issue. So the Ravens, we're facing the Philadelphia Eagles. They played Jordan Davis. They had Nolan Smith on the field to start the game. They had some some dangerous young pass rushers on the field who could have hurt a quarterback. Is it possible they waited to put in Tyler Huntley because they did they really wanted to take very little injury risk with him and they thought there was less of a chance later in the game? Sure, and you could make the same argument for Gus Edwards. Like why? Like at, at, at the decision point to insert Gus Edwards when they did in this game very really surprised I think everybody. Uh, and your line of reasoning would be the closest line of reasoning, I think, to why they would do something like that. I also thought Gus ran with very little intensity and very little risk, uh, which is not who he is typically as a player. And so I do think that injuries are more on this team's mind um, in the preseason, but I just think in general. I mean, we've heard how they change their practices. We've heard we've heard how that they're trying to identify what those things are. It does seem like injuries – like none of the none of the top tier guys, even the young ones, um, you know, we're we're seeing any seeing any of that time. So maybe you know, I think there's something to that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that, that would be another possibility. One of the other things I have to remind people relative to these two quarterbacks is if somebody ever brings up the argument, but wait a minute, Josh Johnson is 37 and Tyler Huntley is 20, whatever the hell he is. I don't know. I actually don't know. 27, maybe. Uh, I don't care either, honestly, because the, the, the difference in age between those two players is not really relevant. You have you have players that are that are if they're 10 years apart in age, it's still one year and UFA for both of them. So there's no future option. The Ravens hold on either player unless they're going to franchise one of them, which ain't happening. So you're you're we're we're talking about a, uh, you know, a, 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 it's the only question that needs to be answered is is this player a better quarterback for 2023? And one of the things that has been happening in camp is Josh Johnson is getting a lot of snaps. And, and that it, it, I don't think it's absolutely determined in the Ravens mind that Huntley is the guy over Johnson at this point. I would, that would, I'd be shocked. Right. I, I feel I feel like it's a, it, it's, it's almost as near of a lock that like, Tyler Huntley is as much of a lock for this Ravens roster to me as anybody. Give, give me the cut, analogous player. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm yeah. trying to think. Um, <laughs> Malik Harrison? I might agree. If you if, no, I, I, if the Ravens cut Malik Harrison, I wouldn't be upset at all. Let me think about that a little bit. I'll come back to it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it is a hard analogy to make. And I'm not trying to put you in a corner. No, 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 no. It's a good question. It was a great question. <laughs> all right. So, so, uh, we talked about money. We talked about the opponent. We talked about tenure. Anyway, um, the one thing I, I think was certainly not part of the decision is winning the game. And that's been brought up by people. Well, they put in Huntley second because they want to preserve their chance of winning. I think they did do some levelization of talent 
at other positions, particularly on defense, to try and to try and make that happen. But I, I don't see it at all. I, I, you know, I think the Geno Stone move last year to win that first preseason game was um, let's pick the balanced two pairing of safeties where we have a good free safety for both halves kind of thing, rather than play our best two safeties in the first half kind of thing. As they moved Jefferson up into the first half and then they cut him and then they put stone in the second half and, and he was the best player on the field. Kind of reminds me of Earl Weaver, you know, balancing his lineups in a double header and, and being very effective at that. Anyway, I, I don't think that, that trying to win the game had anything to do with it. They're, they're naturally, there probably is some, subconscious bent i'd love to get your your thoughts on this that says you know we really want to try and win this game and they know how to do it and they have good personnel to do it generally i just don't and it's and and harbaugh probably sees a value in maintaining a winning culture even during the preseason but i i I don't think it it would come ahead of almost any other decision in game the only thing i think they do is i don't think they do as much testing of one-on-one individual talent as other teams do in a preseason game. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with the latter part of your statement. It's very clear that, that from, and that, which is why I, you know, we'll, and we'll get more into what we saw from the offense, Mm -hmm. but why I feel like it it was just vanilla and generic and the same as usual. Um, And so maybe that's just me lumping Greg Roman into vanilla and the same as usual, but um they don't they don't attack those matchups in that way so it does make it, it you know it does kind of beg that question i do think they might change strategy a little bit here and there over some things that they might do uh in an effort to win the game you know make it you know and go for two decisions like being a little bit more aggressive to win in some of those situations yeah, all, think all those little things i think those definitely bend into the strategy to win Okay, so all of those rules apply to every team. Is you always go for two, you never go for the tie, you go for the touchdown on fourth and goal, probably from the five yard line if you're down three. You might go from the ten yard line if you're down three, you know. But you but you don't you don't ever play for the tie in preseason, and and uh, it's it's something that that you know that's built into every team's risk management techniques is not to play an extra you know half quarter of football if they don't have to. But it, it, as far as the, the the thing I think that where, where it may show up more is Harbaugh knows how to get a game over. The Ravens have been very good in recent years at getting games over with. And they also, they don't feel the need to evaluate players throughout four quarters the way some other teams do. So, you know, a lot of teams, people want to see, let's see if, you know, Johnny over here can run a good slant route against a cornerback who we think is kind of quick. Well, the Ravens say, you know, what do we need to know that for? We, we see that in practice. Why do we need a one-on-one, you know, revisit revisitation of that on the field here um, when we, you know, can test that in a lab just as well ourselves in practice? Yep. Okay. All right. I, I the, yeah, I just I, I agree. It, the Ravens have. It, it's bizarre to me that for as bland and as generic and non-targeted their preseason approach is, yep. that they have won as many games in a row. It's 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 kind of fascinating. Yeah, well, we went over this on the defensive pod, but every single defensive snap was either base or nickel. Every single one. So they had two outside linebackers on the field, two inside linebackers on the field. And given those two starts, there's only so many ways you can you can allocate the seven defensive backs and, and, and alignment. And it was always four, three, or five, two. So, <laughs> so is there were uh, there were no variations on the on the on the basic scheme there. 
what else do we need to talk about? Let's talk about uh, the deployment order uh, other than quarterback. So a few things interesting going on here. I always like to talk about the offensive line first because it's so structured. You have five positions. They're on every play. There's no, oh, we'll just play with three this play. You've got to play with five and basically exactly five. So I think it gives you more. The Ravens never really change it up by series, or at least they haven't this year so far. So let's just talk about how that went in this game. We had, um, first of all, the Ravens sat out their five top linemen in the game. And that includes McCary, and it does not include the two starting left guards, but it obviously includes Ronnie Stanley, uh, Morgan Moses, uh, Linderbaum, and Zeitler. And that is a lot of offensive line talent to sit out even for two series in a preseason game. Sure is. I mean, it, the the Ravens just decided that they weren't they didn't need it. <laughs> it wasn't worth the risk, which I'm glad. I'm glad for it. It, it, it made it, you know, I think it makes for a less entertaining product on television, but you know what, like you were saying earlier, we would gladly trade this win streak or a lot of other things for an injury of any, of any substance to any, any player that's going to make an impact this year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things they have a limited number, of course, of padded practices every year. And the first two padded practices I believe Ronnie Stanley has missed both. So offer with vet days. Well, does Ronnie Stanley ever need a padded practice? I don't know. Is he going to play the next two days against Washington? I guess he'll play at least one would be my, would be my guess. And then he'll play in the, he, he'll, he might or might not play any in the game on Sunday. Might be a limited number of snaps, limited number of reps in practice here against the, uh, against Washington. But uh, they're clearly taking, he is one of the players that not only is he good, but the backup is bad. And so you, you, and it's at a, obviously at a critical position. They're not taking chances with him. Yeah. The downhill cascade, especially, you know, you know, when you look at all four of those premium positions, like, especially because left guard is in flux, mm-hmm. it almost makes every single one of those other spots important because it's like you've you're you've already kind of if Makari is the card that you want to play and you feel like that's the thing that you've got to do with left guard you can't afford to do it anywhere else and then have an issue with left guard still be one that needs to be resolved right so you just got to keep everybody intact right and and i for that reason i don't think we're going to see McCary at left guard at any point i think he'll 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 go in at left tackle um uh and if they had a problem at right tackle, I don't even know how they'd address it. But they, based on what we saw in the the first game, we'll talk about him a little later. I think Daniel Falele has clearly made strides since last year. Um, he's he, I mean, he played all the snaps in this game. Uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about his grading, but I thought that that you know he's a player who really benefited from the fact that they were bubble wrapping the other tackles. Well, that's, you know, that's what you want, right? When you have the depth mm-hmm. to be able to, and when you draft guys like Daniel Falele, that's what you want. You want to give him the opportunities. You know, you, you, he's not, you know, he's not going to be polished. So you don't need to bubble wrap him. He's not a guy that is, is his development long-term matters more than probably anything. And so it's good. It's good that he was able to get those snaps in and get that playing time in. Yeah. It it uh, it certainly was. And the guy they took extra care with, which was, which was kind of a weird one was sharp. Sharp started the game at left tackle, played two series. Then he left for the rest of the half and Falele moved over to left tackle. Then he came back for the first series of the second half, which was not an insignificant number of plays. That was a fairly long drive. And then um, 
they moved back uh, uh, lately there for most of the rest of the game. Not quite all of it because Tykeem Das came in at the end for a couple of series. But uh, it was a it was an interesting kind of switcheroo. And one thing it kind of told me was that they really value Sharp probably as a backup more than I would have guessed. Like he's he might be. It's really hard to put this in line because it's clearly going to be McCary is going to be the first guy up at left tackle if something would happen. But I, I'm guessing Sharp is the next guy that they really trust, which means they really trust him more than Falele, or they would have played him more than Falele. <laughs> that or that or he's a bubble guy, and they're trying to limit the amount of looks that other teams are going to get at him. Not a bad argument. I mean, if 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 he's really a bubble guy, you might want to trade him. In which case, if you're going to cut him, but you might want him on the practice squad. If he's a guy that's good enough that. If you had to call him up, he's the first guy you'd call up. And we want to give Falele extra reps and extra work anyway. Let's not put something on tape where someone sees it and says, hey, that guy's sharp. We got to have him. Valid point. Valid point. I, I, I wouldn't argue with that. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a reasonable point. And left tackle is such a shallow size and shape pool in the entire NFL that um, it degrades quickly. It's, it often is, is you know – the conditional seventh round pick for a left tackle that's gone out the window. Now it's a conditional six. Everybody wants, or, or it's a, you know, a, you know, a six and a conditional seven, or it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a oddball set of picks. People tend to want that's much more than, than you'd think. So um, a player like sharp, all that has to happen is about six to eight weeks of NFL game day injuries to roll off. And all of a sudden left tackle depth around the league is going to be a little bit less. There's going to be some right tackles who've already gotten hurt, who are, or yeah, you know, right tackles who, who who've gotten hurt are, are are not necessarily the same bar. But there's going to be left tackles who get hurt, and the right hat tackles have to move to replace them, and all the stuff that happens to make it easier to think that David Sharp might have a job at least as a backup somewhere else around the league. Exactly. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that iteration uh, tackle plays itself out here. Yeah. So what else did we did we see about this? Uh, let's talk about Simpson and Sala a little bit. So Simpson was in first, uh, started the game. Now, it, this has been a weird thing. I'm sure you've been been kind of following it at least. But Harbaugh announced in advance that they were going to sw- switch to let Simpson be with the number ones in practice. It seems now, after starting with Sala and OTAs, continuing with Sala through the big part of camp, that they almost had this figured out that Simpson was going to be the starter perhaps even for opening opening day, or at least they, they thought it was a higher percentage chance, that they gave Salah as much time to try and prove himself as they could before the last moment where they had to switch over to Simpson now, still have him play in this first preseason game. And we're going to get to this a little later, but Simpson very significantly outperformed Salah in this game. Very significantly. I'll talk a little bit about how I scored it, but any way you look at it, whether no matter how you treat that one penalty, which was pretty damn, pretty damn damning, um, you know, it, it was still a, uh, a a pretty significant difference in their in their level of play. Um, then Simpson, uh, you know, is in position now being with the ones they might just not change back. So it's kind of like having your chance second is better uh, in this particular case, as long as you know it's planned for this to this to occur. What's the last time the Ravens had a guy drafted as late as Salah? end up being a starter from day one on the offensive line 
No, I don't think it's ever happened. They, I don't they, think they, so. Yeah, Rick Wagner would have been maybe the closest, and he didn't start right away. No, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I don't. I don't think any. I don't think any offensive lineman drafted really. I, I, have they ever had an UDFA start at any point? Because McCary came in and and he was. Uh, I, I mean, going way back was wasn't Flynn a UDFA or was he a late pick? And how soon did he play? Yeah, that's a real good question. He might have been a UDFA, and then I'd have to look to see. But he might not have even played in his first year. Um, Mike Flynn, right? Okay, yeah, Mike so Flynn. Mike Flynn played only three games in '98, and played at Maine. And I do not believe he was drafted. So I think you're right. But three games in 1988, then 12 games the next year. Then then yeah. he became a. Oh, he didn't actually start games until 2000. So there you in, go. <laughs> in 98 and 99, he was, he was a non-starter, but he played some. So it sounds like in 99, he might've been in, I don't know if they used a lot of sixth offensive linemen. So I don't really know how he got into 12 games though. Oh no, no, no. What that would be is he's probably playing special teams in some role mm-hmm. in those games and not offense. So. But either way, the Ravens really trust pedigree when it comes to starting offensive linemen mm-hmm. in terms of draft, you know, Ben Grubbs, Stanley, some of these higher, higher level um, or our guys that got, you know, speaking of <laughs> what a bombshell yeah. there, uh, speaking of, you know, th- they prioritize that pedigree and it's, it is pretty rare. I mean, we have definitely seen some guys get in over time um, as starters. I guess Kalechi Osemele started at left guard, but he was a second round second pick. Second round right? pick, yeah. Yeah. So still not as late as Salah. So my guess is that, I mean, Salah would have to really, really, really impress, I think, the, the Ravens brass. Um, in a lot of ways to win that job. So a uh, Gradkowski might've started right away at center as a fourth round pick. I think <sighs> that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yonda Yonda in 2007 played some, and then he was hurt at the beginning of 2008. And somehow Yonda was having a really hard time cracking back into the lineup. They had a great offensive line, but Chris Chester was the guy holding him out. And, you know, he left for Washington and had a great career, but, uh, but it's it's pretty freaking incredible that Marshall Yonda has to sit on the bench for anybody. But they drafted Ben Grubbs number one the previous year, uh, Yonda in the third round, and he was still sitting on the bench, you know, partway into two thousand eight. Yeah. So so yeah, he's got to earn his spot, and I you know, and we can talk more specifically about some of the players. But I I agree with you. I think Simpson Simpson is now pulling himself away here a bit from at least what we saw in this in this first game. Right. I'd, I would agree with that. By the way, how about this Michael Orr saga? Are, are you, are you, it's, it's funny that it's, it's like the play within a play almost because the movie was about the Tuies bringing him in so they would be alumni boosters to Ole Miss and, and they would direct him there and blah, 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 blah. Little did they know their evil scheme was something completely different. <laughs> um, I, my guess is, though, the Tuies didn't have this planned. If anything, the Tuies probably we're, we're closer to the old miss recruiting scam. Yeah. Who, who, I mean, who knows what part of what part of what is involved with all of that, but it it is, it's a, it's, it's wild that it took this long for it to come to light. That's, that's the part that surprises me that uh, a story like that could be held under wraps for, for such a long time, but you know, maybe Michael needs the money now and that makes all the difference in the world about what you're willing to share. Yep. That uh, that could well be the could well be the case. Now, uh, Michael Orr made a lot of money playing the game, so I, I I I you know I hope he didn't blow it all. 
yet, but you never know. So it's uh, it does happen. People make bad investments. People make bad wagers sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it could be a lot of things. But, not uh, me. Not me. Yes. There you go. I know, I know how you, you're, you're, uh, you know exactly what you're doing. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, let's talk a little bit more about other offensive linemen in terms of when they got in the ball game here. And I need to get back to my, my little chart here. Um, Mustafer playing most of the game at center. Obviously, the Ravens didn't have a lot in terms of backup center options. They ended up with Thomas in the game. He had a big holding penalty later. But Mustafer played quite a lot of this game, three quarters. Well, and it's definitely – it's it's in – I mean, it's the Ravens it, – it's funny. When we were talking about Huntley, and I went back and looked through the depth chart to try and identify a similar guy to him, the real challenge is that this Ravens team does not have a whole lot of depth really at any position that that kind of like maybe not the first guy off the bench but the second and third guy off the bench the the drop off at almost every position looks at least right now pre-development before the season's getting started we haven't seen the scheme we haven't seen how guys fit except for wide receiver <laughs> which is what, what bizarro world are we living in that the ravens deepest <laughs> position is wide receiver outside of wide receiver it feels like the drop off is pretty quick all that jumping back to Mustafer is to say having a guy that can log meaningful center snaps that you could trust um, again with Makari being that X factor that you don't want to have to play that card until you absolutely have to um, was good to see. Yeah. So anyway, hopefully I, you know, one thing I did not watch from this game was Mustafer's snaps and it's something I, I need to make sure I do uh, because he's, he's, that's a big component of, of his ability to be successful is, is drilling that ball on time. Uh, but uh, but I didn't take the time to look at it in the, in this particular game. I didn't notice any outstanding bad snaps, but that doesn't mean that there weren't any. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's about trajectory and velocity, and those are the two things. And 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 it, you know, how often does a quarterback have to reach down for the football? How do, how often does he have to reach left or right? And then how 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 is the ball like arcing? to the quarterback is it and that obviously plays into you know dropping off the table and and, and going to the quarterback's knees but if it's if it's arcing it's also going slower so uh, you can actually time since you can time to 0.03 seconds there might even be like a like a difference in the number of clicks that would be judgeable like it might be one to two clicks quicker if you had a, a you know a, a long snapper type shotgun snap that was right on the you know, right on the belly button every time uh, but anyway, it's, it, it'd be something interesting to look at uh, and compare maybe a, maybe a couple of different centers in, in that regard. I haven't done it, but, uh, but I think it'd be fun. Um, how about, how about Ben Cleveland and his treatment in this game? So right guard, right tackle, back to right guard, back to right tackle, and then retired after, well, basically the first drive of the fourth quarter. I, Look, if you if you know what's going on with Ben Cleveland, you either work in the Ravens front office or you need to tell me the next time the Powerball gets to a billion dollars what the numbers are going to be because it doesn't it doesn't seem to make any logical sense. There doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason to what they're trying to accomplish with that. Um it seems like he's not at all a factor at left guard and so that probably means he's the front runner to play left guard. <laughs> <laughs> That would be funny because they did that with Powers right. last last preseason, but they they it was fairly obvious what they're doing with Powers because they only left him in at right guard for like one or two series and yeah. then took him out of there. So with Powers, it looks like they're really experimenting, kind of like they are with Falele a little bit, in that they're trying to see if he can play right tackle. By the way, 
you know, Ben Cleveland was one of my highest rated guards back when he came out. So it's not just Harbaugh who was wrong about him. If you, if the Ravens truly are wrong about him, he doesn't become a good lineman. It, it's, it's, uh, it's me, me and Harbaugh and a bunch of other people who, who, who liked him. But one of the things I said is if the Ravens have big problems at right tackle, why isn't Ben Cleveland under consideration for that? And remember then it was, it was Alejandro Villanueva had to be moved to left tackle and the Ravens really had. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly, but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Nothing at right tackle. And McCary played some time there, but even McCary got hurt in, in that season and missed some time. So they had Tyree Phillips over there and he's awful. You know, just a bunch of different crappy options. You know, you have a guy with some arm length. You do have a guy with obviously some lumbering feet. But why is now the time you try him at right tackle instead of, you know, back when your your hour of greatest need was here and you you literally lose a season to terrible tackle play? Uh, it's it's just it's hard to, to to fit the pieces together. So I'm, I'm uh, uh, a little shocked by that because Cleveland has enough length to get by over that. He has longer arms than Michael Orr did, not quite the 34 inch, you know, length that I, I would like over there. But he does have some, you know, he has issues, obviously, with his feet. I'm not saying it would be perfect, um, but you but it's 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 something if, you know, you, you have a power run game, he can certifiably help you with that. Uh, so if even if he hurts you in some other ways, so anyway, it's, it was just interesting to me that yeah, that no, it, 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 it's it, it's a uh, I, I mean obviously he's fighting for a roster spot at this point mm-hmm. that he is he may be you know for you know you thinking about how you know Sharp played less and and Cleveland played more it tells you that the Ravens need to see something from Ben Cleveland or he is not going to be on this roster on opening day and it does it. For a guy drafted at the level that they drafted him, um, for him to be in that position for this team, the Ravens seem pretty committed often to their guys out of the draft for you know enough time to let them develop. That this one would this one would surprise me a bit. It would it would it would frankly shock me if they cut him. Um, I think they might trade him. That that's a possibility, and there might be a team out there that really wants a you know a, a massive human being like Cleveland and. Maybe they're even trying to groom him for a trade by having him play right tackle and not look bad there for during yeah. the preseason. You know, that that's that's it's certainly kind of what they did with Tyree Phillips in his fourth year, but Cleveland's in year three. There's still sand left in the hourglass. There's time for that sand to turn to gold instead of sand. And you know, I think there's a chance that they really still hope he could be a value to this team this year. And I to me, I think he's secured himself a roster spot as of now just because the depth is not particularly good overall. I don't, you know, okay. 
let's take a, a player that he might be in direct competition with for the last offensive line roster spot is, is Mustafer. So Mustafer is a backup center only. He's a short arm guy, uh, but he's a, but he's a, a big, powerful guy. He represents a difference stylistically in, in what the Ravens can put out there at, at the center position. And maybe they can even get more out of him. They should be able to than how he played in Chicago, which was not all that well. So th- there's that going on. They've had Cleveland in-house in their own laboratory, and they haven't been able to get very much out of him, obviously, for two years so far. But I, I still think that if you look at the – if you compare those two players and you say, I got Ben Cleveland plus for one more year, I got Mustafer for this year only, which who, – who do I want? I, it's, it's pretty clear to me you're going to try and keep Cleveland, and you're going to take your chances with Mustafer on the practice squad, elevate him as needed. If somebody else takes him, oh, darn – but you know you'll go to the rest of the league's pool of available centers, and it's a much deeper pool than there are of of uh, potentially right tackles, but also just enormous guards as well. Well, and that's where your point about a trade matters, right? Like if you can extract mm-hmm. some value here out of Cleveland, and you don't think he's ever going to get there, then take the value you can get now, live with it, be happy with it, and you know move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, they might do that. They 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 clearly might. All right. Uh, let's see. Anybody else in the offensive line we need to talk about before we move on here? Um, you know, the one guy was Manning. Got a pretty long look, and he's a he's a pure backup guy. I mean, he's he, he but he played twenty eight snaps. He wasn't terrible. Looks to me like he might be earning a practice squad spot with that kind of play. They might also keep a another tackle there like Tykeem Das. But um, Manning, um, Tashawn Manning, was not utterly terrible. Thomas had the holding penalty. Gidon looked bad. Um, I, there's just not a the, the, the of the threes. I think Manning might have might have a pretty good chance to make the practice squad. Yeah, but I, I mean, your assessment there was was about how it looked. I, I mean, and that's the you know the nice part about playing down. You know, so obviously there was that one really bad rep that Ben Cleveland had mm-hmm. um, against Carter, and everybody saw it, and every, it was all over. The, it was yeah. all over everywhere, and you could see it. And you get that when you have disparity between player quality talent at least when at least when you're seeing guys get beat <laughs> in these preseason games that are the twos and the threes for the other teams too um you know it, it does help secure your evaluation internally as a team to say hey yeah this is it's not there let's go with the guys that that it does look like it's there for right i i mean I, in the in the case of cleveland um i mean that's obviously jalen carter on the other side of the field who who got the who got the quarterback hit it's just a general problem I have with offensive line play. Don't judge hitters by the length of their longest Homer. You know, you, you, it's, it's actual work to evaluate offensive line talent. You have to look at every rep. I don't believe in trait based scouting, not, not in any kind of real way. I mean, I, I do believe in, in a sense I'd like to see, and I'd like to corroborate with scoring, but I don't, I, I, I want to corroborate with scoring no matter what, basically. I want to have some systematic method of evaluating people because offensive linemen get a thousand at bats a year, you know, to, 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 to do this. It's not like you have limited control groups you're working with. You know, take advantage of that. Look at the data, look at what you've got here and, and, and try and make reasonable evaluations that way, rather than going with, Oh, look at this rap. It was terrible, you know, kind of thing. And, and I see that so much online. It really just pisses me off. So you know, it just <laughs> does it. Does that bother you again? <laughs> yeah. It just bothers me a little bit. You know? <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, 
I, I, I'm not even going to go into this. That's, that's <laughs> I, just, right I was just teasing yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I got it. Um, so let's talk about the other positions in some of the deployment order. Obviously, Zay Flowers got a, got a very brief trial early at, at, at wide receiver. Um, I thought it was kind of cool that they that they didn't end up getting him a target. I, my, my prediction was one target uh, he would get during the game. And he act, they actually threw the ball to him twice and once on a backward pass as well. Draws two penalties. That's a... That is a beautiful thing. He was wide open on the play where Johnson stepped out of bounds on the right side. And, the, and that, these announcers needed, they needed their warm up for the, the preseason <laughs> too. Uh, he was running wide open to the other side of the end zone. He was at about the, at the third mark and he was just, there was nobody within eight yards of him. And Johnson could have just lofted it up as high as he could have and thrown it to that back corner and he could have run it down. Um, that, that was on a roll right, right? It was on a roll right. Okay, and he was running towards the left side of the field. There's almost right. a zero percent chance. Yeah, but he was. It wasn't like he was at the. He wasn't at the goalpost yet. He was still in the third. He was still in the third to the roll side. He was just at that point breaking back away from the okay. play, uh-huh. and he was. If you go back and watch, he was wide open. Um, okay. But anyway, I thought Flowers looked fantastic. I thought that they obviously they obviously wanted to get him a few game touches, so he had the feeling of kind of what that was to get it out of the way. Um, don't tell me that that orbit play that they ran on the not forward pass was not a Greg Roman staple. The Ravens have run that play a hundred times in the last three years. Oh, let's put it on tape and see what the advanced scouts <laughs> have to say about it in week one. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it, this, this is one of the things. I mean, you're, you're right. They did do orbit plays. The, the, the other side of that, I'll say, and we can talk about this now if you want, in terms of the offensive scheme looking the same as it did, the big offensive scheme that was completely missing was a fullback. And they, they didn't use a fullback That's at true. any point that until very late in the game. So, you know, as long as they're running out of 11, I mean, Monken has put a stamp on this team. They had a, a lead to protect, and they weren't even going back to the fullback early in Fair. that fourth quarter. I, I, I'll definitely give you that. I think just yeah. the the staple of the design, and it was intentional. And I'm, and I'm like, again, I, I think it, A is a little trolly. B, it's protecting your scheme. If Monken yeah. wants to do something different, obviously Lamar, the starters aren't playing. Why give up anything that you want to do in the first quarter of the season in a game? Why put that on film in a game with players that may not even be on the team, right? Um, so I under, I certainly understand all that. And then you go back to your core and guys know those plays and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it gave me a little bit of PTSD. <laughs> you are You are a very negative Roman guy. And it's going to be many years and many drinks until I can get you to admit that Roman was the best offensive coordinator in team history. Oh, your your screen is freezing over there. <laughs> I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would disagree with that. I yeah. I don't think I would disagree. It would. It would. It would take one drink, maybe. Uh, yeah. It would take a drink. I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna admit to it sober. But uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he had the best season ever of a Ravens offense. So that is yeah. undeniable. Um, he just couldn't. He couldn't adjust. He wasn't certainly going to be around for a long period of time. Um, and the Ravens didn't need to put anything on tape in this game. Um, but it was good to see Flowers in them trying to move him around a little bit, just give him a feel. All this is to say that they were trying to give him a feel for what the game was going to be. Um, and he looked every bit the part in the live game that we're hearing that he was in practice. And I think that's what's significant, which is that sometimes with these guys, you hear how amazing they are in practice. Um, you know, our Darius Washington is another guy where – you always hear all these great things about him at practice, and you even see it in these preseason games. And the regular season starts, and he disappears. Well, Ardarius Washington's been absent 
at practice. Not not absence in terms of being injured, but he hasn't been you know getting first team reps at all. And they've got all these other slot corners ahead of him. And now we see, wait, wait a minute. We had this guy all along and, he, and he's playing this well. But, but you know, the guys who've gotten snaps ahead of him are Brandon Stevens at slot corner to start camp. And they finally, I hope, have got him back in the proper place and they're going to keep him there because the, the Ravens' need is so great there. It's even greater than the need at slot corner where their need is truly enormous also. But but they, they have an even greater need for, for depth on the out, outside corner. And Stevens actually fits the, the – uh, um, the bill better in terms of the physical tools to, to play on the outside as well. But they moved him out of there. Then they they, they signed that Arthur Mollett guy, and he's, of course, been hurt and missed time. And now uh, he gets a chance. Pepe came back off his injury, gets injured again. And and now he's going to miss time. You know, I hear a month – sorry, Harbaugh says a month, I hear a season. Yeah, I mean, of, he, they're oh, saying at least October or October at the earliest. Yeah. So, they, I mean, it's that's half the season. <laughs> right. Yeah, if he if he if he comes back, uh, it'll be sometime post London. I'm sure that he'd be coming back if if he does it all. And it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't come back at all. Uh, in a way, it wouldn't be terrible. Um, but they they now they have to play the game of trying to sneak him on the roster, use one of their eight re- returns. Now the eight returns is not a serious limiting factor. What is a, a significant limiting factor, a possible limiting factor, is how many additional guys they can get on. Um, on the margin of the roster by having handshake deals and how many of that them they're actually comfortable paying for because of the likelihood that they'll return. So, you know, you may not, the 1.5 million difference for, for uh, the quarterback difference, you know, you may be willing to pay that, but are you really willing to pay a guy 1 million to be on your roster when he's a, he, a, he has to return and, and, and B then he has to beat out whoever you got left at that point. Um, I do think the Ravens would be, well served to have a couple of potential returners on their uh in their hip pocket in their in their 54th to 58th men um that they take into the uh end of the season yeah no definitely agree it'll and and it gets tough you know kyle hamilton's ability to play in the slot when he's actually playing you know the the ability to do that if you have to yeah but right? that, that's the thing are, are we going to set ourselves up to be forced to do that just and in the broader I, I was trying to give it in the context of who and how guys were playing where they were getting their reps where we were letting them see, see some of them play mm-hmm. maybe some of them are a little out of position in the context of this game because a different iteration of personnel that is available to the ravens never allows that to happen so i hope hopefully Brand, i am in agreement with you hopefully brandon siemens is not the guy getting slot reps um at really at any point of the season i thought he held up well enough on the outside last year it wasn't it wasn't great it wasn't i'd call it average Um, it it, it improved as the year went on so that you got that to go on and even if you wanted to call it slightly below average you know in today's nfl you can live with that honestly um you know you're you're people are going to attack even good corners and find success um and so i mean that's why the ravens shifted some of this mentality of what they want to do on offense and so that's the case then hopefully we'll hopefully we'll see some of these guys be put in the right position to be successful and i know i I think you and i have talked about this if not you and i gabe and i have talked about this about stevens being a guy that some people think that the ravens have kind of not given him a chance to fully develop by moving around between different positions um i don't i i'm not in that that school of thought but if that's what you believe he's certainly a prime example yeah it's the, the issue is it's the quality of player that determines if you can do that or not. And great players, they can't, you can move them around. 
Yanda yeah. Adelis Thomas, you know, Jarrett Johnson, uh, uh, Ed Reed moved from strong safety to free safety. Not that that's big, that big a difference, obviously. It's certainly not that big a difference if you're Ed Reed. Marshall, Marshall <laughs> Yanda, you know, you, you put him anywhere on the line. He got hurt. He played left guard because his, you know, his right shoulder was still good and he could, he could protect the inside on that side. Uh, if you're a great player, you can do it. It's, it's if you're kind of a marginal talent, it has less of a chance to work for multiple reasons. So Michael Orr is not going to be good at that kind of thing because he's kind of a marginal NFL talent to start with. And Brandon Stevens, uh, we don't know yet, but he seems like he's kind of marginal. Camel like Correa, marginal talent. You know, it, yep. it, it it just doesn't work for those guys anyway. Yep. I, I've said that enough time on the show that the people who've heard it already probably <laughs> almost know it by heart. I apologize for that, folks. But, uh, Every once in a while. Uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about? The, the, the team is remarkably shorthanded at tight end for how deep they are at tight end. You think? I disagree. Yeah. I think that I think tight end is probably tight end and wide receiver are the two positions where I'm like comfortable with the Ravens depth. No, no, I, I, I'm sorry. Let me be clear about that. They're completely fine for the regular season, which is why they're only carry, carry four, which is why they're very shorthanded in preseason because you don't want to play any I of see. your top three guys. So, so that's, the, that's a, see, it's a meandering argument. I guess I shouldn't expect you to get it all at once there, but, but, the, but it is a, uh, uh, a case where, uh, you know, Kolar is a guy, I guess Kolar really needs reps, reps at this point. So it's not a terrible thing for him to be on the field, but likely you don't want him in for very long in a game like this. He's part of your offense. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Kolar looked a little slow in this game, but I thought Volacek, is that right? I thought he looked really good. Vokalek. Vokalek. He did. He looked good. I, I almost had it. Uh, I thought I, I, so, and that's where it's kind of hard to say. I mean, that's for, you know, he's not going to make the roster or, or it would, it would take some unsightly things happening between now and opening. Yeah. Day, any but, injury to, to a tight yeah. end, that's what it would take. Um, and even then, it, it wouldn't necessarily be a lock, I don't think. I think it. I think he'd be the guy. He's looked pretty good, by the way. I think one of the things that's that uh, has been true in camp is he gets a ton of targets. Mm. And part of the thing is he plays with the, the the second and third team units always. And when he's out there, the second and third team quarterbacks like a big target. If you're Anthony Brown, if you're Josh Johnson, whoever you are, you you, you like throwing to a big target when you're when you're uh, down on on an extended play, we'll call it. So. Uh, you know, it's he ends up getting quite a few targets. In fact, he's been the target on a lot of really good defensive plays in camp. Interestingly enough, but <laughs> but uh, they, it is what it is. And he had a very nice catch over the top in this game. He did. So. Yeah. So you know, it, I think with Ricard likely being on the roster to begin with, mm-hmm. even a Kolar or a likely injury might might block Bokalek from did I get it right? Bokalek from getting a roster spot. Yeah, that's possible. Okay, so you're saying if Ricard is on the roster, then you have you really have three tight ends because you're not going to use a fullback. And now Ricard becomes your pure inline guy. You've got two flex guys, and exactly. boy, isn't life good again. I, I, one of the things I, I really want to talk about was Ricard at guard in this game because Ricard moved to guard, a little bit of practice, playing with the threes, um, did not uh, – do much in the padded practice last week. He wasn't on on the field at guard that I noticed in 11 on 11s. I might have missed something. He might have been out there for a few reps, but I didn't notice it. Um, what what is really interesting about the Ricard situation is that I understand. I think what the Ravens are trying to do to extract 
additional game day roster value by having an eighth, him be the eighth offensive lineman because, hey, look, Ricard's a guard right on our roster right here. And then they actually get a free fullback without having to, to roster one. And you got two inactive offensive linemen. And it almost never happens that you have to go to your eighth offensive lineman in an actual game. And if they do, they'll, they'll take the chance with Ricard when it, when it comes up. Yeah, if you're on your eighth offensive lineman in a game, you're already on thin ice to begin with. Yeah. So, uh, so I, it's the same analysis in, in this idea of, you know, does Huntley even matter uh, if it can't take you to where you need to get to? But if you've got three starting off, the Ravens have three. If, if three of Stanley, Moses, Linderbaum, and Zeitler are down, uh, I'm going to yeah. be watching between my fingers. Yes, that's a, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Uh, let's keep talking here. Uh, one of the things I thought was good about this game was there were quite a few forced tackles and missed tackles in space. Uh, speed looked very good for the Ravens. And, you know, it's, we didn't, we didn't see a lot of Devin Duvernay in this game, by the way, he made one, had one target. It was the catch for a touchdown. Nice play. No, no problem. Good throw right on target. Duvernay turned at the right time, made the catch. Just everything about that was just, you know, exactly as you draw it up in terms of how that ball is thrown. Um, same thing to Wallace on the back shoulder throw for the other touchdown, by the way. But what, what really strikes me about this is we saw a lot of Keaton Mitchell in this game and we saw some of flowers enough to get very excited by, and boy, you think an offense that can create space. I'm not bothered at all. Hill also another guy. I, I, I'm not bothered at all by having three or four guys who could be used for gadget plays on this offense. In fact, I love the idea. I, I am, I am totally with it. The speed Mitchell speed, Melvin Gordon, should be calling his agent because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty, unless, unless Dobbins isn't ready or something else happens injury wise, I'll be surprised if he's on the opening day roster based on both based on play, but just the Ravens can't afford to lose Mitchell. If they, if, if the, whatever this, I mean, John Harbaugh has got his checklist about running backs and if they don't check those boxes, they don't like them. And so I hope Mitchell is checking whatever those not things that we see on the field um tyson williams right. never checked whatever those boxes are <laughs> whatever Raheem whatever Mostert and, and yeah. smoke myzel or two others they lost and and those guys ended up you know playing pretty well other places and i've liked the way the ravens have well i like the way the ravens used to be able to find running backs off the scrap heap <laughs> now it seemed like they they're really they're really taking the biggest shiniest objects off the top of the scrap heap which are the discarded 29 and 30 year old running backs and they're they're just They've been terrible moves for the Ravens these last couple of years. Really bad moves in that regard. I agree. So so hopefully Mitchell makes the roster. The speed that you saw yeah. from him I thought was fantastic. I will say the focus, the clear focus on back shoulder fades and some of these outside comeback routes, which by the end of the game – Ricks had figured out that that's yep. all the Ravens were doing. And that's why he got the, anybody that wants to write about how good Ricks played just needs to understand that he was, he was doing what anybody does in Madden and realized exactly what somebody was doing on the other side and was just mm -hmm. sitting on it. Um, that being said, there was a clear emphasis on the Ravens part there. That has not been as big of a staple. Um, you know, we haven't seen some of those kind of comeback routes be a huge part of the offense since kind of the Anquan Bolden, Derek Mason era. Well, um, which what it really means is the Joe Flacco era, because you need yeah. you need the guy with the you know Nolan Ryan like arm. Bill James had a comment about this once: can throw a snowball through a blast furnace without getting it soggy. <laughs> and and it's in 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 Flacco's case, the one thing he does have over Jackson is undeniably 
a laser of an arm in terms of the medium distance throws and and how quickly they get there. Uh, it's it's a uh, uh, it's something they've really missed. And and also with Flacco, they had they had good accuracy on those throws as well. So they had, and they had good route runners with with players like Mason and Bolden uh, who who would come back for that ball and uh, and do a great job with it. But you could see the clear quality of throw difference between a guy like Huntley and Johnson oh, yeah. on those routes in particular. Um, and then Brown as well. Brown was mm-hmm. Brown does not have their strength for it at all. Um, but Lamar Jackson is known. It, Lamar Jackson's arm strength, I think, is a bit underrated. His throwing mechanics are a bit unorthodox. And it looks it doesn't look clean and tight like when Flacco would do it. But whenever you see, I think ESPN just put out their top 10 lists of like traits. And Jackson was like eighth or ninth in terms of arm strength in the league. He can sling it down the field mm-hmm. as good as anybody, which means that he's got some power behind his arm. I thought it was interesting for as much as I said, for as much as I was trying to talk about the Greg Roman offense showing up, those back shoulder throws in the end zone and those comeback routes were not something that we have traditionally seen the Ravens try and attack. And so if that is a point of emphasis moving forward, that's a different development for this offense. And especially for defenses that have, been clumping towards the middle of the field. Typically you, you see everybody basically always playing with inside leverage, always playing to the middle of the field, always pushing everything to the middle of the field and trying to clog it there. Um, and so perhaps this might be an early answer or focus for the Ravens to be able to do that. It was really nice to see that from Duvernay and Wallace. It, it kind of goes against some of who Lamar Jackson is to throw that route for, for one thing, it's a very timed up and scheduled throw. And then you take away Jackson's value from being able to move around and make a throw playoff schedule, which is which is what we love him for, and and you know to to make him try and become that guy who can throw. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I think it'd be a wonderful thing to add to his arsenal. I'm just saying that that you know it, in terms of who he is, it, it does kind of minimize other Jackson value to have him throwing a a, a quick 15 yard out to the sidelines to, to try and get eight or nine yards. Well, his, well, his, Lamar Jackson has also been notoriously terrible at out routes. I, mm-hmm. I think that some of the worst interceptions of his career have been on out routes in particular. I, I'm remembering the Cleveland game where I think he threw three of them. And every time they were telegraphed, they were floated. It was, it was just out routes. I would uh, uh, hopefully we don't see a lot of those I, either way. That would be one area where I'll be interested to see when week one rolls around, especially in the red zone, um, whether or not that's an additional part. I, I can't remember a back shoulder, front side throw for the Ravens in the red zone last year. Certainly think about that. Certainly none that was certainly not two in the same game that both resulted in touchdowns. Um, So, and again, these aren't Lamar Jackson and maybe they, this is just, maybe it was also just something the Ravens went into this game and they said, we're going to work on back shoulder faith throws. Um, Fades, fades, you know, basically are, are corner routes to the back of the end zone. So we're being clear with people who maybe don't know all the terminology that are thrown in a hierarchy thing, a very low probability throw for anyone. And that really takes away from Jackson because Jackson's value in the red zone. And the reason he had no interceptions for that longest period of time, that's been broken a number of times since is his ability to scramble side to side and find a direct line to the receiver is what made him so valuable in there. So I don't, I, you know, I think that's the reason why it, why it doesn't exist as much in the offense. It's it's a matter of, you know, who Lamar is, and 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 he he, he it's it's just going to be easier for him to to he's going to be able to a higher percentage of the time find that guy, while he's also a threat to run. The defense has to be looking at him, and then you know somebody gets lost in the end zone. All of a sudden, he's got a he's got a line drive he can throw. All right, let's move on. Um, 
anyway, I was very positive about the number of missed tackles in this game. Zay had one. Gordon had one on his reception. Uh, there, there were there were just a number of fine plays. The reversal of field was nice. Good to good to see that. That hasn't been something the Ravens have done all the time. I don't I don't think they've told their running backs don't reverse your field. But you know we had a, a good run by Keaton on a reversed field, and a good run by Hill, obviously for thirty seven yards on a reversed field. Uh, just nice, just nice to see that. Yeah, the one thing I'd say that didn't look great was the screen game. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Ravens screen game when Ray Rice was around was fantastic. And then something happened when Ray, when Ray Rice was done with the Ravens. And they, at that point forward, I, I can't remember a season where the Ravens had been an effective screen team in any capacity at all whatsoever. This game, their delays and the screens were, and this might be a byproduct of the backups being in, but they were they were horrendous. They were horrendous this game. Yeah, the 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 throw that went to Mitchell was a really bad throw. It was behind him, but you could see if you just freeze the point at the point where the ball is going over his the shoulder that's behind him and he's having to reach back for it. Okay, is it a catch he should make four times out of ten? Probably. But it, it's it's not a catch certainly he's gonna make every time. You 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 hope he does. And they had three blockers out front slavering for for a for a somebody to block somebody to flatten it was it was a very well blocked up play there and, and it would have been a big gain if uh if mitchell had been able to uh get it because you know you also well, have wasn't, mitchell's escapability well wasn't that like fourth third and 30 uh that was the play wasn't it, it was it was it was third and very long so it should it should succeed you would figure right but it, yeah. it was the larger point being that guys weren't didn't have anybody to block yet because they were they were 25 yards farther down the field still um preventing the first down but either way there was a tight end screen that was really bad the ravens just have never wide like, receiver screen left uh, yeah. uh, treadwell didn't pick up the block that was awful they're, they just ha- they don't seem synced up on the line. The, whoever, if there are receivers that need to be blocked, the deception in it's there. The timing's not there. Uh, it's a thing that the, the team definitely definitely could use, I think. So anyway, all right, uh, Jordan. It's always outstanding to talk football with you. Some great discussion in the first half of the show. We're going to come back, take a little break, and we'll be back for the second half of the show. That'll be posted separately. So please look for that and uh, and uh, download that as well. Jordan, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Yeah, you guys can find us on uh, Twitter, at Raven Sit Room. Uh, we've also got a podcast on filmstudybaltimore.com with Ken. Uh, we're going to try and be doing a couple things this year, a quick reaction to games with uh, me and my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. We just kind of get a little bit of the emotion of the game out on Sunday night, but uh, but get it on tape and then uh, try to do something a little bit more later in the week. That's, that's a look at some of the key plays that happened during the game, but a look forward at, at how we think those might make a difference in the, in the upcoming game, the following week. There are outstanding follows on Twitter. They're on this show all the time. Uh, there are, there are a, a couple of guys I know who are always available, always love to talk football and they probably each do three shows a year. Uh, in terms of offensive or defensive reviews, so you'll be hearing them a, a, a fair amount again this year, I'm sure. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Always looking for that great kernel of a new idea. Just some topic we can discuss for 15 to 25 minutes is even ideal. Um, a lot of people want to re-solve the Manhattan Project on this kind of thing, really think about a shorter project than that. If you can, some, you know, some, some little part of it, and I'll talk to you about it. We'll, we, we can break it into three shows or something, but uh, you know, the evolution of the game 
was something somebody came to me with and we had to break that into four shows, but that was great. It was, it was a lot of fun to do that. Uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have that discussion with folks, but, uh, just remember we are trying, I'm, I'm searching for content that might be about 20 minutes long because a lot of these shows end up being an hour. And even though I love talking football, I know that, that, uh, some people will end up listening to this on 1.3 because they, <laughs> I shouldn't even suggest that on air <laughs> because they, uh, uh, you know, these shows go a long time, but anyway, Jordan, really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me again. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.